today's episode of Still To Be Determined, I'm going to be sharing an interview I had with T. Geegan, the CEO of EnergyX. We talk at length about his company's pilot projects for direct lithium extraction and how it's going to be impacting the broader mining industry. And we also get into the new battery technology that the EnergyX team is working on, and it's it's really quite cool. But first, for regular listeners and viewers, I am not Sean Farrell. It's just me, Matt, for this episode at least. A little behind the scenes, um, Sean and I record these episodes on a service called Zencaster, and uh, we had a little bit of a snafu this weekend when we recorded. For some reason, my audio just cut out. So our discussion around your feedback on the last episode of Undecided was just lost. Now, regardless, my conversation with Teague was always meant to be part of this episode. So without further ado, let's get into my chat with Teague. Just to kind of kick things off, could you kind of give us a, a recap again about like in general what Energy EnergyX is and what the technology is that you're bringing to the market? Yeah, definitely. So EnergyX is a lithium extraction and refinery company. Uh, we focus on basically the battery material supply chain before it gets to the cell. So think about what materials go into batteries. We focus on specifically lithium and how lithium comes out of the ground, like out of the earth, and then is extracted and refined to get it to be a battery quality lithium material. Right. What, in, what inspired you to start EnergyX? What was the original inspiration to do it? Like so, why lithium? Why lithium? <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a pretty wild story to be honest. I, I came up with the idea when I was traveling through Bolivia, uh, a, a place that is, you know, probably seldom uh, or low on the list of vacation spots. Uh, <laughs> but I, I found myself in Bolivia, and Bolivia actually has the world's largest salt flat. It's a beautiful place called Salar de Uyuni. And unbeknownst to me, while I was on this tour, I found out that this salt flat is actually the world's largest lithium reserve. And this was 2018. Uh -huh. uh, I had been driving a Tesla for five years at this point now. And I just felt like electric vehicles were going to be the thing of the future and that, you know, back in 2018, I, I don't know, I don't know the exact number, but Tesla was probably selling, you know, 20,000 a year. Well, fast forward to today, you know, Tesla is selling 200,000 a quarter. And uh, I, I saw that coming, right? I saw this exponential curve of electric vehicles being produced and sold. And electric vehicles run on batteries and they're called lithium ion batteries. And I said, lithium is going to be an extraordinarily important material if we're going to be able to transition to electric vehicles. So that's why I started to start, start a lithium company and focus right. on how we can produce lithium more efficiently, uh, more cost effectively and in, in larger quantities and abundance. Cause the way that lithium is produced today is basically through two main processes, right? There's like the brine, and then there's through mining. So it's what about what is it about EnergyX's approach that is makes it so different from what's done today? So lithium, yeah, you're right. Lithium comes from two sources predominantly: uh, hard rock mining, which is uh, like from ore, spodumene ore. You can think about a big open pit mine, uh, and then brine. And brine is uh, another word for really salty water. So. Uh, they pump up the brine from subsurface, not, not too deep. It's pretty shallow. And they put it into these huge evaporation ponds. 
and they let the sun naturally evaporate the water, the H2O, and then the salts that are dissolved, one of the salts being lithium, uh, others being magnesium, potassium, sodium, etc., precipitate or crash out. And this happens in a sequence where it takes about 18 months to go through all of these ponds. And finally, you're left with lithium that's more <laughs> concentrated in the solution at the end. And I saw these ponds and I just said, <laughs> there has to be a better way to do this. And it was basically this, this step change in technology, like a paradigm shift from uh, an uncontrolled natural evaporative process to uh, a mechanical controlled separation process using 21st century technology like membrane separations, solvent extraction, uh, ion sorption, things that are used in other industries, but just hadn't been applied to lithium yet because lithium just became important within the last five years. Right. I mean, you, you already just touched on it right there. I did have a question around the, it's not just one technology that you have. It's a series of technologies and how you're combining them makes it work, right? Yeah. So this is, this is actually a new occurrence since the last time we spoke. Um, okay. We started out, uh, I mean, the, the general principle of like moving from a natural, you know, low control type system to a high controlled mechanical system is, is the transition, right? In terms of how we produce lithium. But we started out with membranes. That was our first technology. And that was a very specific membrane for a very specific problem that Bolivia had with their brines. Uh, what we learned is that not, there's really no uh, brine that's the same. So like the brines in Bolivia are different than the brines in Chile that are different than the brines in Argentina that are different than the brines in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. And when we say different, the three main characteristics that you have to consider uh, is one, what is the starting lithium concentration, right? So there's lithium in ocean water, right? Like you can go into the Pacific and there's one part per million uh, lithium, <laughs> right? That's a really, really low concentration. That's unfeasible. It's never going to happen. In terms of real brines, like if you're under 200 parts per million, that's relatively low. Some of these brines in Chile have 1,500 parts per million. That's really high, right? Right. So one is the concentration of lithium starting out. Two, what is the impurity profile? So what are the other salts that are dissolved? Is there a lot of magnesium? Is there a lot of sulfate? Is there a lot of calcium? Is there a lot of sodium? And what is the ratio of those salts to lithium? That has a big effect on which technology you use to separate the lithium from all the impurities. Mm -hmm. And then number three is what is the temperature? So if this brine is coming out as a geothermal brine, which is used to create power in like California, they have big geothermal power plants. Uh, that has a big effect on which technology you use. Trying to treat something that's 100 degrees Celsius versus 20 degrees Celsius, you need to take that into consideration. Mm -hmm. So when we started out, we started out with just membranes treating ambient temperature brine in Bolivia that had a big problem of magnesium to, to lithium. They had a lot of magnesium 
and a little lithium. And we developed a membrane that could do that separation very well. Okay. So we put it down there. Uh, we put a pilot plant in Bolivia earlier this year. Uh, we were one of the first to ever deploy and operate a pilot plant in the field with direct lithium extraction technology. And we got great results. However, last year when we were testing Argentinian brine, magnesium was not a big problem. And, and the brines they shipped us to our laboratories had very low levels of magnesium. So these membranes that we had developed to do lithium magnesium separation okay. weren't effective. And that's <laughs> when we realized that there is not a one size fits all technology. And that if we wanted to be the leading lithium extraction and refinery company and be able to treat any customer that came to us seeking direct lithium extraction as a solution, that we needed to have a portfolio of technologies that could address different brines and different characteristics as needed. Right. And so what are those new uh, technologies that you're, that you're pulling in? So in addition to selective membranes, the second is solvent extraction. And solvent extraction is a widely used technology in metals and mining. It's used with over a dozen different metals. It's used for about 25% of the entire world's copper production. But it's just about making it applicable to lithium, right? Which is the hard part. And then the third is uh, ion sorption. So you basically use a resin that absorbs the lithium and then you need to strip the lithium out in the subsequent process. But each of those have their pros and cons depending on the brine and those three characteristics that I mentioned. Um, there's, also, there's also other variables um, that are constraints in certain areas. So one would be water, right? If you need uh, a lot of fresh water to strip lithium from an ion absorption resin, that's probably going to be hard in Argentina in these high desert salt flats that don't have a lot of water availability. So there's a lot of different uh, variables that you need to consider on a customer by customer basis when you're trying to figure out an end to end solution of lithium extraction and refinery. But with these three technologies, you basically can dial them in in different ways to achieve different goals for different customers. Exactly. And you actually, so you actually use these technologies in combination for different steps, right? So in the very beginning, if you have a very low concentration brine, you may use an ion absorption technology, and then that uh, flows into a solvent extraction to get it up to a certain percentage. And then maybe you use a membrane for polishing or for a conversion step to get to the battery grade lithium that an LG or uh, a Samsung wants to purchase to put in their right. batteries. Right. Now for your Bolivia plant, I, I, I read that you had great results coming out of that. So could you talk a little bit about the results? And then I have a follow-up question about Bolivia itself. With such okay. good results, why did you not get <laughs> selected? Which is my big question. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm more than happy to talk about all of that. So uh, <laughs> Bolivia was a wonderful experience for us. Bolivia is a state-owned entity. Uh, the, the, comp the lithium company that operates there is called YLB. And they, they were the first ones that gave us a real opportunity to put a pilot in the field. Uh, and I'll be forever grateful for that. Uh, they, they basically held an international 
uh, tender for direct lithium extraction companies. They had dozens of applicants from all over the world, and they chose uh, eight companies to participate in this pilot program. Um, one, one was from Russia, four were from China, two were from the US, and one was from Argentina. And that, that really showed that it was, you know, a, a global competition for this, right? Like they weren't biased towards China or Russia. However, I think that Bolivia is a little bit more aligned with China and Russia just on kind of a, a global perspective than say the US, uh, which, you know, some of those circumstances are completely out of my control, right? Mm -hmm. But in terms right. of the, the competition and the results themselves, of these eight companies, which any logical person would probably say these are the top eight companies uh, that are doing direct lithium extraction and refinery, we were the only company that actually put a physical pilot plant down in the field, <laughs> in the Solar, and operated it for an extended period of time. Uh, we operated that pilot for five consecutive months. Every other company just had brine shipped back to their laboratories and tested <laughs> it in, you know, a controlled environment uh, for as long as they could, but a relatively short period of time based on the amount of brine that you're able to ship halfway around the world. Right. Right. So, so I think that that was a huge advantage to us. Um, and, and really the, the validation of our technology, like, when these other companies are doing these tests, they are also doing the analysis of the tests, right? Mm -hmm. With us, we, we didn't bring our analysis equipment down there. Uh, we literally got the brine that Bolivia gave us. We ran it through our systems and then we handed it to them, handed it back <laughs> to them and they tested it in their own uh, laboratories and then gave us the results of what we did, right? Right. Um, so, so it was basically the <laughs> ultimate third party validation. Right. Uh, we estimated that we would hit 90% recovery rate. Um, we ended up exceeding that and hitting 94% recovery rate, which is phenomenal. And we felt like everything was going for us. Unfortunately, there, there are greater powers that be. And, yeah. you know, I also, you know, there, there's a silver lining in all of this, right? And, and, Bolivia said that they were going to select the winners on May 15th of this year. Uh, they have yet to do so. Um, I think that, you know, I don't, I don't know what goes on internally <laughs> there, but like Bolivia has been trying to do this for 15 years and, and hasn't got to commercial production yet. And, you know, this right. is another example of, you know, I don't, I don't, politics are a big deal in Bolivia. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm standing by ready and willing to, go down there and help them if the deal is right. You know, I heard that uh, the commercial terms that they wanted were a little bit unreasonable um, from whatever group they end up going with. But at the end of the day, the most important thing for them is producing lithium and they haven't done that. And we proved mm -hmm. that we could do it for them. So, you know, they're, they're, the, the, the reason that they blamed on not working with us, uh, I turned in our final report 10 minutes late um, ten minutes, 10 minutes ten late. Minutes. <laughs> it was a very elaborate report. It was a 60 page report that not only included our actual results, 
but uh, our commercialization efforts, we had put together a large consortium of partners at all different stages to help them develop their lithium supply chain uh, into batteries. Uh, we put we put together a whole ESG program. EnergyX committed to building schools uh, in the region. Uh, they're near the salt flats, as well as uh, improving their healthcare healthcare sector. So I had this sixty page report, and you know I did it in English, and then I needed to have it translated into Spanish, and then right. I needed to to compress it to under twenty megabytes, and all of this like took a little bit of extra time and I was literally sweating at my computer, like trying to like make it compress faster. <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, that's what happened. So, so even though, you know, even though Bolivia didn't work out, are you still happy with the results? It sounds like you are happy with the results that you got out of the, your team and the technology. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't be happier. Like it, it third party validation, Bolivia gave us the chance to prove that we can operate a pilot plan in the field. And now there's, you know, a ton of other customers that, that saw that and, and now have belief in us that we can deliver. And, and a lot of other people want pilot plants and we're building five more pilot plants right now. Um, and we, and it's like, one of the things that I really take from Elon is the way, like, if you look at SpaceX versus Blue Origin, both mm -hmm. these companies started at the same time, right? Why yeah. is SpaceX so much more advanced? And one of the things that he really talks about is iterative improvement, that progress is the equivalent of number of iterations times progress in between iterations. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. Like this pilot plant that we put into the field was our absolute MVP. MVP standing for minimum viable product. Like it was like, we just wanted to get something in the field and test it and see what happened. Right? right. We needed a partner to allow us to put that in the field that had infrastructure with wells and electricity and, you know, all the other stuff that's needed and, and the brine resource and Bolivia provided that to us. We learned so much from testing in the field for five months. We've brought all of that knowledge back. We've made our systems bigger for this next phase of five pilots, uh, more robust, better materials and piping. We learned about the corrosivity of the salt environment. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we learned we, we have we made software upgrades um, just across the board. These next systems will be better than the first. And then the, the next systems after that will be better than the second. And we'll just keep iterating and improving until direct lithium extraction is commercialized and, and, you know, hopefully we're the leaders. <laughs> right. So it's it, last time we talked, we did talk about how if once you prove out the pilot, the concept, you're probably going to have pe a lot of people knocking at your door because <laughs> there aren't a lot of people doing this. So it sounds like there are people knocking at your door now asking to yeah. work with you. <laughs> Banging it down. <laughs> yeah, okay. Which brings me to the, like the, um, the IRA bill that was just passed and the other bills that have been passed in the United States recently which are trying to incentivize bringing supply chain back to the United States, I'm going to guess you're probably getting a lot of calls and conversations with people here in the United States. Yeah, it's, it's huge for us and, and just huge for the United States. Like mm -hmm. the, the lithium brines in South America are higher quality 
than the US. Like there's no denying that, right? They they have starting concentrations of lithium between 800 and 1500 or 2000. When you come to the US, you're looking at ones that are 300 ppms, you know, that are that's significantly lower, right? But mm-hmm. we do have substantial resources in the US. The, the biggest four areas are California, Salton Sea, Great Salt Lake and, and the companies that operate there. Mm-hmm. Arkansas, Smackover region, and then <laughs> Nevada, right? In terms of brine resources, I think there's some hard rock in other places and things like that. But I mean, those are really substantial resources. I think that the US has about 17% of the global known reserves for lithium. However, it's much less economic to try to work with 200 ppm brine parts per million than mm-hmm. 1500. Like that on a linear scale is seven times less more less attractive. But if the US government is going to subsidize or incentivize people like me and and all the way to the top or the the bottom of the supply chain like the end users in auto right. manufacturers to invest domestically here to make that happen, you know, now that becomes a much more attractive proposition to try to focus, you know, our bandwidth and resources on US lithium uh, supply chain. So those bills really are going to make a difference in opening up Huge the supply chain. Difference. And, right. and it's not just the Inflation Reduction Act. The Department of Energy is putting grants and loans towards it, uh, like big loans. The, DO, the DOE just loaned GM and LG $2.5 billion. Uh, there's certain components of that to work with small businesses. Um, they have other pockets of not loan money, but grant money in the tens of millions. Um, the big loan money is going to bring the processing, right? So once you extract it from the ground, you need to process it or refine it into battery grade material. So keeping, I mean, the worst thing ever would be to bring up the brine and then have to ship it over to China to process it, right? Yeah. We want to keep that. We want to keep the whole supply chain here. So there's tons of different uh, incentives that, you know, the, the the IRA bill is like the big, big daddy, but there's a lot of, I mean, there's billions of dollars that are, that's going into building out battery materials and battery supply chains for electric vehicles. So if we're starting to build out plants, if we end up building out plants here in California and other locations, what does the footprint look like? Because obviously brine pools are miles and miles and miles of brine pools. Obviously we don't need that for your process. Like what does the footprint of a facility look like? Oh, it's, 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 it's minimal. I mean, it's <laughs> a couple, a couple acres, you know, 10 acres, so, right. something in that vicinity. Um, yeah, these are, these are just like warehouse facilities, uh, that you're processing brine through basically pumping it up, extracting the lithium, uh, and then reinjecting it. So you don't disturb the water table. So it's, you mentioned that you're working with five potential partners right now like working out a deal for with five different people, not asking who they are, but what is the plan for energy X? Like what is your roadmap for the next six to 12 months, 12 to 24 months? Like what is your rollout plan right now? Yeah. So I, I, you know, we're trying to move at, at lightning speed here. The price of lithium has gone from $10,000 a ton to $80,000 a ton in the past 12 months. I think, I think like, I can't remember when we last talked, 
It was yeah. probably 12 months ago, right? Like yeah. this conversation today is in a whole different universe than it was back then. Like I, I didn't, couldn't foresee that price spike coming. <laughs> nobody but, could. <laughs> yeah, nobody could. But yeah. the, the, the projected demand was certainly there, right? And mm-hmm. now as big companies like GM and Ford and Tesla, well, not so much Tesla, but GM, they're looking to transition 7 million cars from ICE to electric. Mm-hmm. And when they're thinking about doing that, you have to secure that whole supply chain. You can't go build your car and then not have the lithium to build the battery and put into it, right? And meanwhile, Tesla is looking to scale up to 20 million cars a year. So there's this global battle over lithium right now to secure this supply chain for the next 10 to 15 years, right? So that all comes down to today, right? How do we produce as much lithium as possible as fast as possible? So what I think about the next six to 12 months, 12 to 24 months on a more granular level, we are trying to deploy these next five pilots into the field as soon as possible. Hopefully that happens within the next six months, Mm -hmm. hopefully sooner. And then from there, we're already building the next bigger demonstration units, right? So it's all about scaling this technology. The first pilot that we put in Bolivia was very small. It was just to prove that our technology could work over an extended period of time in real field operating conditions and not break down, right? Mm -hmm. Now these, these next units are like 10 to 15 times the volume of, okay. of brine that can process through them on an hourly basis, or I guess any basis really. And then demonstration units in 2023 will be like 15 times that. So you're looking wow. at, yeah, like a 225X scale from the first pilot to demonstration in right. 2023. And then from there, our systems are, are either modular so a demonstration unit is like one full commercial stack. And then you mm-hmm. just can produce, say, 300 tons of lithium. And then if you want 30,000 tons of lithium, then you just need 100 of those. Or for solvent extraction, it operates in something called equilibrium. So if our demonstration units can produce 100 tons of lithium a year and it's operating in, in equilibrium, that's directly scalable to 100,000 tons a year because it's operating under the same conditions, but it's proving that hundred ton per year scale to the customer and giving them comfort and confidence that you can go all the way to full commercial. So once you get to that demonstrator phase, it's really modular then at that point, you can build up any size. Modular or equilibrium. Okay. And, And just for context, how much lithium are we talking about at that scale? Like how much, how many tons of lithium are produced now, like worldwide versus like, yeah. So the, you know? glo- the global uh, supply in 2022 was around 500,000 tons. Okay. And how much do you think Energy X is going to be able to produce like in a year? Like what's your, what's your goal? I mean, it's hard to predict this, but it's like, <laughs> it, like it sounds like you can scale to whatever's needed. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the idea, right? It's this paradigm shift from the old conventional methodology to the new next generation uh, methodology, right? And I think that, you know, next year, hopefully we're producing 
a hundred tons. Like it, it's not about how much we produce next year. It's about how much we produce in 2030. Right. 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 Because in 2030, the global, the global demand is looking to be like between two and 3 million tons. Right. And then 2040, you're looking at five plus million tons per year. Um, I mean, you, you essentially have to be able to produce enough for 80 million cars. Right. Right. I mean, right. By, by 2040, theoretically, all cars will be transitioned to EV. Um, when, I'm, when I'm just looking at when I'm looking at what you guys are doing, it seems <laughs> it's like the iPhone moment for lithium mining. I never thought I'd be interested in lithium mining. <laughs> it's like it feels like the iPhone moment where it's like the people that are still doing the brine pools. At what point are they going to realize, oh, oh, crap? were being outproduced because it yeah, takes yeah. them 18 months to produce. How long did it take BlackBerry to realize it when the iPhone came out? <laughs> Where's BlackBerry yeah. these days? I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. No, but I mean, it, it is that, it is that moment. And, you know, Elon in his Q2 earnings call said that lithium refining, he said, I encourage entrepreneurs to go become lithium <laughs> refiners. It's like having a passport to print money. And <laughs> and here you, you are know. going. I'm here. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been, uh, yeah, <laughs> been working on this for four years. Like, but it's the biggest bottleneck for for like. Why do you think that the cyber they haven't started producing cyber trucks? Right, right. They have three plus million pre orders. Granted, they need to build the factory, but now Giga Austin's been up for I don't know twelve months or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they need to source the other supply, like they need to su- su- get the steel to make it right. It's like cold rolled steel, but it's the battery and it's the materials to go into the battery. Um, is the biggest bottleneck for electric vehicles. So yeah, we're in a, we're in a great position right now. Do you now obviously the supply chain issues are huge, like what you're describing, but are the supply chain issues potentially hitting you as well? Are you feeling any kind of pinch because of the supply chain? Um, yeah, I mean, supply chain, like across the board is a bigger problem today than it was say five years ago before COVID. Uh, but you know, my materials that I need are generally available. Like we need to manufacture membranes and there's already millions and millions of square meters of membrane that are produced. Like granted, we have our own proprietary formulation that's lithium selective. Uh, so we just, you know, went out and purchased a million dollar membrane manufacturing line. Um, we need to build the stacks that the membranes go in. Uh, and, you know, there's already hundreds of thousands of those. Like there's huge desalination plants that take ocean water and turn it into fresh drinking water. Right. So that this is off the shelf technology. Right. Of the three technologies I mentioned, selective membranes, solvent extraction, ion exchange. These are all heavily used technologies. I just explained membranes in mm-hmm. terms of solvent extraction. There's already solvent extraction plants that can produce hundreds of thousands of tons of copper, right? So it's just developing the specific extractant that is mm-hmm. lithium selective that we have done, right? And same right. goes for, for um, ion absorption. So in terms of my supply chain, I'm pretty confident, but... There is that scaling challenge. Like, you know, as we go from 
in the lab where we were in 2019 and 2020 to building a pilot and then scaling to demonstration and then full commercialization. Like these things take, you know, months, if not years of planning ahead. Right. Right. And one question I do have about costs, like how much is this, like what's the cost per ton of lithium and what does your process save over other methods? Yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it all comes down to cost, right? And yeah. our cost per ton is drastically reduced from conventional methods. So, well, there's, there's really two important factors here. One is cost, two is environmental, right? Mm -hmm. And three is, three is really actually, uh, like feasibility. Um, you can't just go build these huge evaporation ponds <laughs> in say Arkansas, right? It's, it's a, it's a forest, right? It's covered by trees. Nobody's going to allow people to cut down trees to build ponds. Right. Um, and, and two, even if they did do that, these, the, the only reason that the ponds work in South America is because they're at extremely high elevations that have essentially zero rainfall. I mean, the whole point is you're trying to evaporate water and it's just raining back down. <laughs> and, then, and then three, uh, they have very high UV, uh, UV rays. So it enables quicker evaporation. Ponds right. would never work in, in uh, these places that have good lithium, right? So th those are some of the advantages, advantages for direct lithium extraction. But in terms of cost, all of this is greatly reduced too. So our cost drops from say about $5,000 a ton of OPEX with current methods to about $2,500. But Ooh. all that's really, you know, with the price of what lithium is today, like these existing lithium producers are making money hand over fist. I mean, you can go look at Albemarle and SQM and some of these stocks over the past 12, 24 months. And it's, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. pretty, pretty good investment, right? Yeah. Yeah. And energy X is not, I know you have grander goals. So I did want to talk about, cause you're also looking into batteries, correct? We are, we are. I mean, I think that, uh, so our slogan is powering the future, but our uh -huh. sub slogan is from <laughs> brine to battery, which <laughs> is a little bit more like <laughs> not, not many people really know what that means. Brine. Uh -huh. But from brine to battery. So we want to be able to extract, like pump up the brine from subsurface and take this essentially like water, it's really salty water, all the way to what goes into your battery and develop new architectures of next generation batteries. So we don't have plans to be a mass battery manufacturer, mm -hmm. but we are uh, innovating along this whole supply chain from, okay, first we need to extract the lithium from this other s mixture of impurities, right? Mm -hmm. and, and what the product of that is, is a lithium chloride solution, uh, still in liquid form. Then we need to take that lithium chloride and turn it into the battery grade, either lithium carbonate or lithium hydroxide in a salt form. And we've mm -hmm. come up with innovative cost-efficient ways to do that that are better than uh, the current methods, right? So we're, so we're saving in that section of the uh, processing value chain. Then we take the lithium and there's already pretty standardized ways to put it into cathodes, 
but we also can take the lithium chloride and turn it directly into lithium metal, which is used as an anode. So now we have the an a new anode and a cathode, and we're developing the separator that is the thing that goes in between those two uh, that creates a battery. So we're developing next generation lithium metal batteries and looking to partner with large uh, cell makers to, to make these chemistries on a large scale for electric vehicles. Okay. You're kind of blowing my mind. Let me see if I understand this. You're basically re-evaluating the entire manufacturing process based around how the lithium is extracted and what you get out of it to optimize the entire thing. Where exactly. right now it's like everything's compartmentalized. So it's like no, people aren't optimizing for that, but you're trying to optimize it down to as efficient of a life cycle as you can, the whole pipeline. Yeah. Correct? I mean, it's, that's this, insane. This, is, this is, <laughs> this is a sector that has never been studied before. And when I say never, I mean like batteries have just become important when yeah. they were, when electric vehicles came along, like before that, yeah, I mean, yes, you have batteries in your computer and your rechargeable batteries in your computer and your phone. Um, but it takes 10,000 iPhones to make one electric vehicle battery. So if you're trying to make a million electric vehicles, that's 10 billion iPhones. That's more iPhones that have ever been made. That's more smartphones that have ever been made in the history of smartphones, probably. Maybe somewhere around that, just for 1 million cars. And we're talking mm -hmm. about making you know, millions and millions and millions of cars every year, right? So nobody's ever, well, not nobody, but this energy transition, there's so much room for innovation and yeah. rethinking the way that, that it's been done because it hasn't been optimized the way that it could be, right? And just in the four years that EnergyX has been around, we've uncovered so many opportunities to improve um, like a, a, a unit operation that can be extremely cost saving that there's no, we, we need to, uh, you know, follow, like work on that initiative, right? So this is, this is first principles thinking at work, what you're talking about. Yeah, is, I learned it from Elon. <laughs> it, it ties right back to what you said in the beginning of like, when you saw the brine pools, you thought there has to be a better way. It's like, yeah, you're looking at the entire supply in that yeah. vision. Wow. That's, that's, that's like, like, for instance, there, there is a handful of companies that are now public, publicly traded companies like QuantumScape. Well, QuantumScape is anode less, but, yeah. uh, solid, solid energy systems, um, solid power, uh, and these other companies that are making battery chemistries based on lithium metal. Mm -hmm. But the total global supply of lithium metal is only 5,000 tons. If they want to succeed, that supply chain to, to secure that lithium metal needs to develop. And right now, to get from brine to lithium metal is like 15 steps. And, mm -hmm. and today, lithium metal, if you thought the cost of lithium that goes into the cathode is expensive... Lithium metal, which is for the anode, costs like 400. I just bought some lithium metal for a one roll of lithium metal to do our testing for $10,000. It would be <laughs> the equivalent if I would have bought one ton of this would have been $10 million. Oh, my God. 
for one time. <laughs> They're going to need so much of this in order to build batteries for these next generation batteries. It takes 15 steps to produce lithium metal. We're working on shrinking that down to three steps and cutting 80% out of the cost to get mm -hmm. this material. We're just trying to innovate throughout this entire lithium supply chain from brine to battery. Now, last we talked to you, had mentioned how you were, you had conversations with John B. Goodenough and his team. Is this the, is this basically the culmination of those conversations and those researchers? Is is that his, what his led? His whole team to works for us. <laughs> <laughs> Energy X battery team is the former John Goodenough University of Texas battery team. John just had his hundredth birthday on mm -hmm. July twenty sixth. Uh, he had a few hundred people come out for his birthday party. I think those goals talk about goals, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, now we have, um, several, I mean, yeah, pretty much anybody that was working in his lab at university of Texas now works at energy X and our VP of battery technology is a gentleman named Nick, Gr Dr. Nick Grundish, who is his last PhD student. And then we have several of his postdocs and, uh, you know, there's been a huge um, knowledge transfer over from what he was doing to what to what's happening here at Energy X. That's awesome. We, we, obviously, moving target, but like, is there a time frame where we expect to hear some more from you on the battery side of the business? Like, are you talking like three, five years down the road? No, I mean, much, much sooner than that. So the way that we like Energy X wasn't the first company to try to do direct lithium extraction. There were a few before us that were two, three years that started, but I think mm -hmm. that we caught up quickly and then surpassed by getting our pilot into the ground and, and proving that we could do that. I think about that a lot along the same lines as some of these other battery companies that are working on chemistries. First, we started out just screening materials, right? What are solid state separators that uh, are compatible with lithium metal? Um, and we would do that just on a screening basis. Then we took it up to the coin cell and we did uh, symmetric coin cells. So lithium metal on both sides. Then we went into full coin cells where we had lithium metal, our separator and a cathode. And now we're doing pouch cells. We did single layer. Now we're doing one amp hour, 10 layer lithium metal pouch cells. Oh, wow. um, I don't have one here. I have some, I have some lithium here though. I have some <laughs> lithium. <laughs> That's awesome. This is lithium, this is lithium carbonate. This is lithium hydroxide. So lithium hydroxide goes in NMC batteries, nickel, manganese, cobalt cathodes. Lithium carbonate goes into LFP, lithium iron phosphate cathodes. We have, uh, we're not quite working. We have some 4680 uh, cylindrical <laughs> cells here. Uh, but we're, 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 that's, that's the next step right now. We're at 10 layer, one amp hour lithium metal pouch cells that have cycled over a hundred times. Wow. Um, so getting up to 300 is really where we start commercial discussions. And if you have an 800 plus cycle lithium metal pouch cell that has between 400 and 500 watt hours per kilogram, mm -hmm. It's game over. Right now, current lithium-ion batteries have about 250 watt-hours per kilogram um, if they're really good. So getting up to 400 to 500 range, you're basically doubling the mileage or doubling your cell phone capacity, anything right. like that. 
that's basically what QuantumScape and Solid Power, they're all racing towards that as well. That's interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Grand ambitions for Energy X. I love it. That's great. <laughs> so is there anything else you wanted to kind of uh, touch on that we haven't touched on? So we, we do have, so, you know, Energy X, I think we try to break barriers in different areas, both on technology and uh, kind of the way that we've been running the company. Um, even though we're a private company, we have utilized uh, crowdfunding, which I think might be noteworthy for some of your audience. Mm -hmm. And anybody can go, basically what I've seen is that these companies that become unicorns and then go public, the opportunity to be a part of that is, is relegated to the very small venture capitalists or mm -hmm. private equity. And I think that's unfair. Why can the average investor who you know has a small stock trading account be limited from investing in that? And that's what crowdfunding has enabled. Uh, so anybody can go onto our website and invest in EnergyX for as little as $500 and invest in a pre-IPO company and be part of something before you know it's super expensive, right? So we've, yeah. we've done that and we actually have over 5,000 investors in EnergyX uh, and have raised over 20 million to date. So I think that that's kind of something cool that people who watch your show might be interested in. It's rare for a company to do that. Usually it's all <laughs> behind it closed is doors. Rare. It is rare, but it's also a new thing. It basically decentralizes and democratizes investing. Um, and I think that giving people that opportunity is something that is exciting for them and exciting for us. Like literally every day I talk to investors that send me articles or, you know, show me a new technology that they think is interesting. And who knows if I incorporate that and, and, you know, want that to become an initiative of energy X and they're doing that because they have a vested interest in energy X. Right. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And thanks for taking the time to talk to me again. I really appreciate this. It's I'm very excited about Energy X and seeing where you guys Anytime, are going. This is the time we talked, and it's like I cannot wait to see where you are a year from now. It's gonna be awesome. Exactly. I was just about to say we'll do a check-in in a year from now. Hopefully <laughs> I have some better news then. So I'd like to thank Teague again for taking the time to talk to me. And if you'd like to support the show, please consider reviewing us on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you found us. If you review us there, it really does help. And if you'd like to support us more directly, you can go to stilltbd.fm and click the Become a Supporter button to throw a few coins at our head, as Sean likes to say. You can also just click the Join on YouTube and become a member there too. Thanks again for all your support and for listening and watching. We'll see you in the next one.